Hey everybody, Alex Shaw here with your Scott Risk Performance Podcast alongside uh, Jimbo Redman. And Hello. Then, and then Eldon Cruz from Glennie Mitchell. Hi. How's everybody doing? We're doing great, getting doing pretty well. excited about this podcast. You sound yep. you sound utterly riveted. <laughs> it's going to be good. <laughs> Meanwhile, as you just said, I wonder if it would be all right if I took a nap real quick before this. <laughs> well, it is 5.30 in the afternoon, so yeah, five thirty. time. 5.30, and we're here at the Omni in, in Charlottesville um, for a captive risk control workshop, which is kind of a cool opportunity to get a bunch of different clients we work with together and um, and, and just learn a few uh, few nuggets that, that can maybe propel folks forward and, and then also just be in community. Yeah, and we got to uh, drive to the bottom of the pit in a big quarry, which was uh, pretty exciting, and a big, you know, 50-passenger bus. Yeah, I've been been to the bottom of a few quarries, but never in a, <laughs> in a big bus <laughs> like that. That was unique. That was. It was a new experience for me as well, but uh, very interesting. Yeah, pr- pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. And, and I think, Jimbo, it might have been you who said, you know, it's fascinating. You take something paving... Um, and there's so much complexity behind the scenes in the execution of putting down the asphalt and all the you know contributions that go in along the way to making it actually get on the road. There's so much, um, so much work and little technical aspects that, that are really cool to hear about. Yeah, so that's the beauty of our job is we get to uh, take a little tour into a lot of people's worlds um, every day. Yeah, that's right. Well, speaking of other people's worlds... Um, Eldon, you drove in from uh, Knoxville today. Um, so, so how was the drive? And and uh, and um, and tell us a little bit about your background and and where you work. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, so, yeah, I did come up from Knoxville, Tennessee. Work for a company called Glennie Mitchell and Company, uh, based uh, just outside Knoxville, and we are a concrete contractor, and uh, we pretty much do all commercial construction projects but uh but yeah i came made the drive up here for this captive meeting today and uh always look forward to the opportunity to meet with some other safety-minded individuals and pick up some wisdom that uh, that that they can offer definitely uh, definitely you guys have some cool job sites being down in knoxville on those campuses there's a lot of life and and just new construction and a lot of hustle and bustle, the type of job site where you go to park and <laughs> there's no real good spot um, and you're not guaranteed anything re- regarding the parking situation. Maybe, maybe guaranteed a parking ticket, which Sandy Redman can, <laughs> can, can, That's can right. attest to. That's right. Yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of tight spaces, which has been interesting to deal with uh, in terms of safety. You know, the, the tighter the job gets, the more hazards you have. So, yeah, it's definitely been been a challenge and and yeah, a lot of uh, you know a lot of those downtown projects are that way. So that's uh, it's it's been interesting to deal with for sure. So what about your? Um, how did you get involved with Lenny Mitchell? How long have you worked there? And um, how how did you find your way as a part of the team over there? And then director of safety. Well, I I started out uh, about nine years ago working as a safety director for a roofing company. I kind of got into that, uh, more or less fell into it backwards. I graduated from the University of Tennessee in 2006 with a degree in Spanish, and I set out to be a freelance translator and interpreter, and the first company that called me, the first gig that I got was the roofing company, 
and they needed somebody that could translate their safety program and interpret for their workers during safety trainings and workers' comp doctor's appointments. And so, uh, you know, they they called me pretty regularly, and, and that went on for three or four months. And finally they said, hey, you know what, let's let's bring you on board permanently, and we can, we can train you on uh, the safety aspects of the job, and you can communicate with our workers. So that's a pretty visionary. That's a pretty visionary roofing company. Yeah. Not, not to not to <laughs> de- denigrate the roofing industry at all, but um, and there's some great ones out there, but they're not always known for um, getting outside the box. And that that seemed like a pretty outside the box move. Yeah, I think that they just uh, they really saw the importance of you know, if they were going to be serious about uh, bringing a safety culture into their workplace, then number one uh, would be communication, the ability to communicate those safety aspects with their workers. And So um, from your perspective, coming in to the industry, no real background in safety, a background in communication, really, um, talk about... Um, what your biggest challenge was um, when you walked in the door? For me personally, it, it was lack of familiarity with uh, the actual roofing process, uh, a lot of the, the technical details. You know, a, a lot of times it was, uh, you, you know, I, I had to work to understand what exactly was the process that our, our workers were having to go through so that I could understand how to uh, adapt to that situation in a safe manner. Yeah, I see that as a as a big challenge for a lot of uh, a lot of companies. I, I don't know if there's a an absence of of enough safety professionals out there. What I would say is there is a a tremendous lapse in in folks who are are very competent in the work being done, and so I think that makes it no matter how well versed you are in OSHA or standards and um, and regulations, it it makes it very difficult when you don't understand the actual execution of the work fully comprehend where the real hazards and risks are within the, the, the specifics of the work being done. I, I think so, and I, I think you have to take a humble approach. I, I think that it's counterproductive if, if you walk in thinking or automatically expecting everybody to, right off the bat, live by the standard. Um, I think that first you have to understand where your workers are coming from and what are the challenges that they're coming up against, and, and then you work together with them uh, you know, kind of hand in hand, figure out together exactly how you're going to tackle that and come up with a safe solution. Yeah, well, to to that to that end, I'm interested. How how much of the process did you learn by being able to communicate with the workers, which seemingly management couldn't do or had limited capacity to do, um, versus sort of management telling you that this is the way they do it or this the way it should be done? I'm just sort of interested a little bit in that dynamic. Yeah, it, well, it was interesting. You know, I've, uh, I've always seen a lot of great value in establishing a relationship with uh, the workers that I'm trying to, um, uh, that I'm either trying to train or uh, with those who I'm trying to implement some kind of a safety system. And so I, I spend a lot of time on job sites, not necessarily actively auditing, even though I'm always subconsciously or, <laughs> uh, you know, on some level, uh, mentally, I, I'm auditing, taking in the things that I see safety-wise. But I spend a lot of time just talking to them, interacting with them, um, you know, have lunch with them, just uh, those types of things, get to know them. 
And, uh, you know, once, once the relationship is built uh, when, and they trust you, I think that they're a lot more inclined to, to listen to what you have to say and to implement the things that you're trying to implement as opposed to feeling like you, you're, you're there to, to tell them where they're screwing up and what they need to do better. Yeah, I would think, and this is purely speculation, but just being able to communicate with them um, clearly regardless of the safety components of that, would go a really, really long way into building a relationship and trust. Um, so it's almost like by taking that step, the next step that you need to take is a lot easier where, you know, if, if you were just an English-speaking um, safety director walking onto a job site, you know, it, the first step would be maybe more, oh, well, it ought to be this way or that way, or you're not doing this or you're not doing that. Mm -hmm. And so that trust is never built. Would you? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think one, one thing that I've noticed is it really, it really says a lot to the workers, it, and especially in our case where the majority of our workers are Hispanics. It, it's really gone a long ways as far as dem demonstrating to them how much the owners of the company and their upper management really care about them. Uh, the, you know, the, they really were appreciative when when I came on the job and they saw that, there, you know, there was somebody that they could communicate with and they can, you know, rather than just kind of getting the gist of, of what their supervisor is saying, to be able to actually communicate and have a back and forth interactive conversation about it. Uh, in their minds, that that really said to them, "Hey, I guess I guess our our owners and our supervisors really do care about safety, and they really do care about us." Yeah, the the ability to 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 communicate transparently is critical. Mm -hmm. And you know what I've seen doing some of these surveys with companies in the past is, um, you said a minute ago, it's helpful to know where they're coming from. It's their perspective, but quite literally, geographically, where are they coming from, and what was the context in which they worked previously. You know, they come to the U.S. and they'll wear a hard hat and safety glasses, and they have now become the safest worker they have ever been in the past. And so they are going to have naturally fewer complaints, I think. Um, and, and so one of the things you see in the surveys is, A, there's responses like, everything's good, it's all fine. The other thing you see is a lot of the exact same responses, which indicate to me somebody in the group is writing the responses in for all of the folks. And then the third thing to consider is uh, a lot of these folks have worked very, very hard to get here and to find work and to be able to provide for their families. And so doing anything to, to, to potentially put that uh, ability at risk is something they're not going to want to step into unless they've got somebody like you who can clearly articulate in their language, hey, this is the heart and the intent of the leadership team. This is really, really what we're interested in hearing back. We, we truly do want to hear the things you're concerned about. You're, you're not getting in trouble for this. Mm -hmm. So to me, that your role is just such a, a critical ingredient in the, in the health and success of any company who's got a largely Hispanic population working for them. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely agree with, with everything said. You know, I, it's, it's interesting. I've got a little bit of an anecdote and uh, Alex you've heard it before I think Jimbo you might have heard it too uh, the last captive where I, where I was speaking mm -hmm. I related the, the story of uh, one particular roofer that, that had fallen off of a roof and it ended up being a minor incident he was okay he had fallen a short distance onto a grassy 
area, so he really wasn't injured that badly. But uh, but I had to go down to the job site and do a, an accident investigation, and uh, he, he did end up with a back sprain, so I had to actually take transport him back home afterwards. And so this, this job site was about uh, two and a half hours away from uh, Knoxville, so we had plenty of time to talk on the way back home. And I, I started in immediately in safety director mode, and I, I started to, to talk about the importance of tying off, the importance of having fall protection in place, all of those things. And you know, that, that sermon lasted for about 20 minutes. And <laughs> you know, then after that... Fire and brimstone. <laughs> the, yeah. yeah, a little bit of fire and brimstone. But uh, you know, th- then there was just kind of the awkward silence, and you know, then it was kind of like, so what do you want to talk about now? You know, and, and, and he actually, you know, unsolicited, he started to talk about uh, his, his past and the, the things that he had gone through, the difficulties he had gone through in, in getting to the country. And uh, it, was, it was pretty clear that he had really suffered some trials physically mm-hmm. and mentally ju- just to get here. Yeah. And the, the thought that occurred to me was, you know what, he's in a completely different place. And I, before I can spout all of these safety regulations and guidelines to him, I, I have to meet him where he's at and try and help him see, in terms of what's important to him, why, why it's important for him to follow these safety guidelines and regulations. So falling off a roof just wasn't a big deal. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I don't mean to minimize that, but I think that's a reality in a lot of businesses that they face, which is our expectation is that all these things are sort of big deals and perhaps to the workforce, they're not. And that could be life experience, that could be competing interest, that could be inexperience, that could be a whole host of things that, that we never consider. And I think they're, they're magnified a bit when you bring the whole language barrier into the equation because you, you do have to confront those issues because your your challenge is, you know, you have an opportunity where the guy's going to turn to you and say, hey, I trust him and I value what he has to say or I don't. And so, you know, obviously the 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 really great story here is is that, you know, you've been really successful doing that, not just – with one company, but now you're with Glennie Mitchell. We'll talk about that transition and were there differences or were you, did you feel like you're much better prepared after sort of the first experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, there was, there's definitely a learning curve going from roofing where most of the, most of the focus is on fall protection to concrete work, you know, where, where it's more, it has more to do with usually slips, trips and falls uh, from, uh, shorter elevations, right? Uh, what we typically deal with, and just as far as the the actual concrete uh, pouring process, all of those things, uh, there was a learning curve. There, it, it was interesting to see the difference in in culture from one one group to the other. I I found that, uh, and, and I don't I don't know if this was unique to this company or if it's unique to the industry. I did find that the roofers tended to be a little bit more hard headed. They, it was it was a bigger challenge to to get them to accept hmm. why it was important. With, with most of the concrete workers uh, with this particular company that I'm with, they, they pretty much readily accepted it. And with them, it was more about, well, how do I implement it rather than why do I have to do it? 
So it, it's been it's been kind of a welcome change. Hmm. Right. Well, I guess from all your experience, I, I'd ask a couple questions. One one would be, um, do you have many compatriots that you network with who have similar roles at other other organizations? And then two, um, what advice would you have for a company that has a fairly large Hispanic population or any other, you know, culture, really, frankly, um, that, that either can't or doesn't or have the opportunity? Are there some things that they could do that you think would touch that part of their workforce in a more meaningful way? And Alex and I were talking earlier about um, a couple companies we work with, one of which has a annual safety meeting and they sort of put everybody in the same room and and there are a lot of people that just sit through 10 hours of not being able to understand and then we've got other companies who sort of divide up based on language and have some translators and you know I'm sure there's no silver bullet but you, you got any ideas on that yeah as a matter of fact we've we've kind of done a little bit of experimentation at with Glenny Mitchell and company where I'm at now and I think we finally settled on on what works really well. the the first The first year that I was there, you know, we kind of did. Uh, uh, we approached it by separating, actually separating into two groups: the Spanish speakers and the English speakers. And I addressed the Spanish speakers the whole time, and then uh, we had some other other people come and help, other people in the safety community come and help, and do some presentations with the English speakers. and And that seemed to work okay, uh, definitely uh, communication wise. It it it, uh, it 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 functioned, but I think the problem was that then then you really felt this division in between the English speakers and the Spanish speakers. So from that standpoint, it was maybe slightly counterproductive. The second year, I I tried to make all we we had everybody combined in one room, but I tried to make all of my presentations as far as what I presented on screen with as many pictures as possible and, and videos and, and as, as little text and dialogue as possible. Hmm. And then usually I would, I would subtitle it. I, I, I would bounce back and forth verbally between English and Spanish and also maybe have Spanish text subtitles to the, the pictures that I presented. That, that was helpful, and, and I think that that, uh, that was also effective. I think what we discovered after the second go-around was that, that even though the, the presentations were well-prepared and, and informative, was that we were dealing with a, a group of guys who are not used to sitting in a room for 10 hours and right. sitting still. So <laughs> Too <third> much. <laughs> yeah, I think it was too much. Well, And we, we fed them Moe's for lunch, so they were all <laughs> full of beans and tortillas. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it was a... <laughs> disastrous combination, but uh, we won't say any more about that. But but the third go around, <laughs> uh, the most recent. Welcome to Moe's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that smell, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the, the third go around, I think we finally hit on what uh, what's probably the the most effective approach, which is to have a, as much hands on activity as possible and as little sitting and talking as possible. And so we did things like uh, we brought in the fire department to, uh, to do a demonstration and to do uh, some actual hands-on practice with fire extinguishers. We, 
we had uh, uh, a scaffolding uh, portion where we talked about the, the correct way to assemble a scaffold, and, and we did that together in the shop. And um, a couple of other things like that where we, we really tried to gear it towards keeping them up and moving and doing things, and also things where you could demonstrate visually that didn't necessarily require a perfect grasp of either the Spanish or the English language. You know, you can talk while you're demonstrating, but as long as they're seeing it, they're, they're really understanding a lot more. And so. that's, that, that is really brilliant stuff, I think. It, you know, I'm, I find myself, you, you create a presentation and a talk track you're comfortable with, and it's really easy to just kind of, these annual meetings have a, have a way of just sneaking up on mm -hmm. folks, and, and with the best of intentions, I think we all tend to, to, to arrive on the doorstep of that and go, oh, man, you know, I really, we'll, we'll have to change it up next year because we've just run out of time. And, and I just think that's brilliant that, that you've attempted each go to, to change things up. And, and I, 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 I do have kind of a similar sentiment that, you know, it's tough waters any way you navigate it, but, um, you know, there, there, there may be a divide when you separate, um, mm -hmm. you know, folks out. Um, but it's, it's a tough, you know, any way you go, it's a tough, tough deal to handle. Well, and every company is different, you know. Who who knows what works for us may not work for another. But it, but it was it was fairly palpable that, you know, there was the separation because they were literally in separate rooms, mm -hmm. and so you know they were they were really having a separate experience at the same time. And so it, it, you know we just kind of felt like it, it wasn't wasn't the best thing uh, as far as trying to to have a, a unified company, especially when it comes to safety. Now I don't know the answer to this. Um, but I, I would speculate, um, what has turnover looked like um, at Glennie Mitchell and, and maybe even into your days with the roofing company um, been for the Hispanic population as compared to before you came on board? You know, I think it's, I think it's actually been pretty stable in, in both instances with both companies where I've worked. They they have a lot of, of Hispanic workers that, that have been there for several years, and uh, it seems to be pretty stable. You know, they they work hard and they enjoy the work, and and the companies treat them well, so they they feel inclined to to stick around. Yeah, so I mean, I think you know, the thinking about sort of the dividends of of investing in someone like yourself, who um, obviously has a, a lot of good interpersonal skills, but also the ability to communicate. <laughs> Um, what, what's the, uh, what's the market opportunity out there? You, you went through with the aspirations of using your Spanish ability to do sort of freelance, um, interpreting and, and wound up in that role. Are there, are there many people out there? Um, there aren't many, at least in, at least in Knoxville, uh, you know, I'm sure probably in, in uh, in some other states, maybe states that are closer to the border, uh, maybe it's more common. I've I know of one other safety director that's uh, that's kind of in the same community over there that uh, he who just just became just recently became a safety director for the company that he works at and and he's bilingual. But uh, but I I think I think that there are all kinds of opportunities. I think that if uh, you know for for anyone that's bilingual and who uh, is able to get in a position where they can learn about safety, 
I, I think there are lots of opportunities. You know, we, we had a, a client years ago who had a um, had one one employee who was semi bilingual, um, and so they were the one they sort of funneled everything through. Um, and, and I know they were they were sort of motivated to invest in him to to enhance his abilities there. And, and I wonder, you know, do do you see those populations being receptive to that? If there was somebody who you know maybe maybe had a little bit of it, but you know wanted to sort of grow within the organization, do you think that would work? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think I think it could work. I, I think it's. Uh it's difficult. I mean, as far as in terms of uh, of learning a foreign language, it, it really takes a lot of dedication and, and and a situation where you can become immersed. And usually, a job site is a good place for that. But uh, but I yeah, I do think so. I, I think that I think it's also going to pay dividends with your workers. Most Hispanics that I know love their culture and love to share their culture and their language. And if you show the slightest bit of interest in, in their language or their food or, or just their music or, or their daily ways of life, they absolutely eat it up. And, and they're, they're very eager to, to be your friend and to, to teach you more. So are there other aspects of, I mean, you talked about how you've sort of worked through finding the secret formula when you get everybody together. I'm wondering if, if there are other sort of cultural elements that you've discovered maybe that you didn't know about that aren't purely language that that y'all have been able to indoctrinate into the way Glennie Mitchell operates um, that you know make make a difference well yeah I think so I think that uh, I think definitely we've drawn upon um, yeah, one, one one characteristic of Hispanic culture I think is that they're very family centered and they very much have a philosophy of, of working hard but playing hard as well. Right. And I, I do think that we've incorporated that as a company. I, I think that we try very hard to think of each other as family members and uh, try and watch each other's back. I think that uh, definitely we, we've formed a lot of strong friendships and just kind of that, that family atmosphere uh, really helps in, in terms of safety and production. Have you seen, you know, in industry or in your experience, in organizations with largely Spanish-speaking population, you mentioned one way to, to become very, you know, well-versed in another language is to be immersed in it. Mm -hmm. Do you see, you know, there being Spanish crews and then English-speaking crews, or are the two typically blended in together? Because I see a great opportunity. I can see where it would make sense to have folks who could communicate very succinctly and smoothly with one another working on the same crew. But for the long term, having them cross over, I would think, would be of great benefit. Um, yeah, I, I, do. I think there's value in that. And, and we have both where I work. We, we have some crews that are all Hispanic, some that are all... Uh, English speakers, and then we have some that are that are blended, mm -hmm. and I definitely see the the camaraderie form, and and I I do also start to see some some language learning uh, going both ways when you have a blended crew. Yeah. What um, you know, what are some of the other things that that you've done outside of of um, just the language component that, that I know you've mentioned toolbox customizing toolbox talks and. And, and wanted to hit on that just briefly today because I think it, it 
speaks loudly to, um, you know, the energy and effort companies put into customizing things that are you know, for them and, and developed by them. Um, I think goes a long way with with their employees. So maybe speak to that for a minute or so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, when I first started to work for Glennie Mitchell, the, they were doing toolbox talks weekly, but uh, it, it was a subscription-based toolbox talk that would come in the mail and they would distribute to the crews and they would they would read it and everybody would sign it and turn it back in. But, you know, the, the topics were things like um, forest fires and, and chainsaw safety. Packing your parachute <laughs> for skydiving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But, you know, I looked at it, and I, I thought, well, this is great. It, f- 50, 52 <laughs> toolbox talks for 52 weeks kind of thing. And exactly. You, you go, we're getting the cold <laughs> weather talk in June. This yeah, exactly. You know, I just, I thought, you know, I'm sure it's great to know how to operate a chainsaw safely, but we're probably not going to have it on, on, a, on a job site where we're working with concrete. So uh, I, I decided that we needed to have our own set that were, that were very specific to what we do. And... So, you know, I, I just started to observe the processes that uh, that we typically go through uh, just on a daily basis on our job sites, and I built the toolbox talks. I actually built our safety manual around that and wrote all of the procedures and policies. Uh, you know, of course, I included all of the mandatory stuff uh, from OSHA and whatnot, but then I, I mixed in with it very specific items uh, specific to what we do, like tilt up walls or, or pouring concrete, and uh, um, and then I from the safety program, I, I took pages out of it to make the toolbox talks. And built into that are, are pictures of of employees that everybody knows, and right. Um, I, you know, I think that that from what I've gathered in conversations with you, that's always received because it's a little bit entertaining. You know, it's just not a Monday morning toolbox talk. You got. You know, oh look, look at so and so. Right. So you're not. You're, it'd be like you walking into your house and and there's pictures of other people, <laughs> like right. that. None of the pictures include <laughs> any of your family members or any that's of right. the locations you've ever been. And you're like, what is this? And that that's sort of how we do safety sometimes. Yeah. 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 No, and it's I mean it's an instant attention getter if you, and it's very easy to do. You know, you just snap a couple of pictures of, of a crew working. Uh, you know, especially especially involved in a task that you're trying to focus on, and you just copy and paste into the toolbox talk and and print them off, and it, you know, it instantly as soon as you hand it to them, they're they're looking at it and they're studying it to see who's in the picture and what job site that was, and then they're talking about it. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that job, and I remember when this happened. And yeah. Well, I I think we'll uh, we'll start to wrap it up, but I, I you know I just. I'm just so impressed and just appreciate so much an organization's willingness to invest in a, in a guy like you with the with the abilities and skills you bring to the table. And part of that is if statistically, and I, I, I'm not going to put out the statistic, um, you, you know, I can't remember exactly what it was, but a few years ago I read the, the frequency and incidence of Hispanic worker fatalities is head and shoulders above all other groups. And I think a big part of that is just not understanding expectations and not wanting to to make a scene or stand out, which is part of the reason when you talk to folks that may not understand, they nod and they smile. And, and you walk away thinking, okay, they they got it. And what they really got was absolutely nothing and, and no ability to really understand how to put on their personal fall arrest, you know, a, a, any of the safety uh, uh, components you want to share with them. 
Um, so I just think it's a, a huge deal to actually be able to communicate expectations. And, and beyond that, really, as you mentioned, driving down the road with the guy who'd been injured, um, actually get to know them and where they're coming from and, and who they are. Well, you know, the, the ability to get feedback from them is huge. You know, just like you said, you know, you can, you can explain something to them and they'll smile and nod and you think they've got it. But if you can communicate with them in their language and you can actually ask them to repeat back to you or explain back to you in their own words what you've just told them, then that really gives you a good indication of whether or not they're on the same page with you. And I, I would, I would, you know, one, I, I applaud Glennie Mitchell for, you know, taking a big step to do that. I applaud you for <laughs> jumping into a career that maybe you knew nothing about except that you you had confidence in your language ability. Um, and, and I would just challenge other companies to think out of the box at how they might touch their non-English speaking employees. And if they felt like it was appropriate to hire somebody who spoke the language of their employees that don't worry about the safety. Um, you know, communication is going to be the first step. And if you hire somebody, you can communicate with them that they can learn the, the grind of, of what, how to, how to do it safely. Definitely agree. Well, uh, Eldon, thanks for, thanks for being willing to jump in on this impromptu, um, podcast and, Thanks um, for having me. Folks, thanks for listening in. If you've got any questions or thoughts, feel free to email me, ashaw at scottins.com, or call Jimbo on his cell phone. Or email <laughs> Alex at ashaw at scottinsurance.com. We're out. Eldon, thanks a lot. Talk Thank to you. you guys thanks. Soon.